Good morning, Carolina Family Church. As Jess told you earlier, of course, I'm not John Allen. My name's Aaron Plummer, uh, one of the hospitality leaders here and an elder with the church. So it's an honor to be up here this morning. Um, all of y'all that have been here through the time of the years, and even if it's your first time here, I'm going to tell you, you're, fir- you're first-timers, you're about to learn something about me that the people in f- that have been going here five years have been asking and they're finding out today. Yes, I do own a pair of long pants. <laughs> the other 51 weeks of the year, you'll find me in shorts. So, uh, when John asked me to preach this morning, that's a couple weeks back, um, I began to pray, God, what do you want me to preach on? God, what do you want me to preach on? I started beginning preparing a message, um, something that was familiar to me, and I'm like, it's just not... I'm just not feeling it. It's just not what I feel like is on my heart at the time. I felt like I had more of what I wanted to do rather than what God wanted me to do. And then Wednesday, I was in Gaffney, South Carolina, an hour and a half away from home working, um, sitting in an old Bank of America parking lot, and a lady pulls up, uh, gets out of her car, walks over to me. She says, can I give you something? I said, Sure. She handed me this track, said, when the race is over. Um, if you know anything about me, follow me on Facebook. Uh, I love to run. Um, and the reason that I had planned that, uh, I thought my message was going to be on, was 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's my favorite verses in the Bible. And I thought that, you know, hey, that was my personal issues, but this right here, really signified that this is what God wanted me to preach about. It was a, it was a sign from him, obviously. Amen. So, one thing that I haven't done in my, in my running that I want to do, that I'm working towards, is a marathon. The marathon began back in 490 B.C. And there was a messenger to... Uh, the Persian army, his name was Pheidippides. And his job, of course, was to deliver messages. They didn't have phones, they didn't have emails, none of that these days. So when there was a message that needed to be relayed, they told him he would run and go deliver that message. Well, in 490 B.C., uh, the, the, hang on one second, the, in, it was in Athens, um, the Athenians were being um, invaded by the Persians, and they were severely outnumbered. So the battle was actually happening in a town called Marathon. So when the battle was over, the Athenians had won. They had beat the Persians. It was his job to deliver that message back to all the royalty and everybody in Athens that they had won. So he took off on his journey and ran all the way from uh, Marathon to Athens. And when he got there, he delivered the message. And as soon as he got it, delivered the message, because of exhaustion from the run, he fell over dead right there on the steps. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us that would happen too. Absolutely. But that distance. From Athens, from Marathon to Athens, 
is 40 kilometers, 25 miles, which is approximately the distance of a marathon that I will hopefully be running next year, or if you take on one, the distance that you'll be running. Move forward a little bit in a little bit of marathon uh, history. In 1904, the St. Louis Marathon for the Olympics in the United States was one that didn't go over too well. It actually had the lowest percentage finishers of all marathons in history, even to this day. They started out with 32 runners and 14 finished. Uh, they went through all kinds of things. One, one collapsed on the side of the road um, and was hospitalized from hemorrhaging. Another one had breathed in so much dust from the run that his esophagus got coated with dust and his, it actually his lungs started to rip. And then one guy actually was chased off the course about a mile by wild, ho wild hogs. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was rather interesting. Um, another guy actually hitchhiked for 11 miles of the race. <laughs> Finish, finished the race in under three hours, was awarded the win, and then they took it away from him. <laughs> the eventual winner, though, he had some... Uh, nutritionists, what we would see as nutritionist trainers along the way, um, that gave him supplements along the way to help him give those boosts of energies. Well, turns out it wasn't the best thing that they could have given him because it, he started not running the best and he started having all these issues. Um, they actually had to carry, ended up carrying him across the finish line for his win. But what they had given him was a mixture of egg whites and what we now know is a common ingredient for rat poison. So he definitely endured a lot that day, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but as I said earlier, our uh, reading, the, what I'm going to preach on this morning will come from 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you want to get your Bibles and, or your app out, and we'll go ahead and look at that. Um, while you're turning there, uh, 2 Timothy was actually a personal letter from Paul to Timothy. He looked at Timothy as his son in Christ. Um, they had done a lot together. They had been through ministry for a long time. Um, this letter was actually being written by Paul at his second and last time while he was in prison. Um, the first time he was in prison, it was actually more of like what we would see today as a house arrest. He could have a lot of visitors and all. This time was more of what we would see as a solitary confinement. Not much to it, in chains, shackles, the whole nine yards. Um, but Paul Timothy, Paul strongly believed that as he moved on to his next life, that Timothy could and would carry on uh, the church to further the kingdom of God. So let's start here, and I'm going to start in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, to give you his charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage, with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. 
But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Starting in verse 1, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I will give charge. You know, I, the first word that really popped out there to me was the word charge. He's giving Timothy a charge here to... It's something that you would give somebody a duty or a responsibility. And, and it's not to be taken lightly. It's something that is, is a big undertaking for them. Another thing that, that really struck me there is who would judge the living and the dead? You know, in this time here, Paul's looking back at Timothy. Paul's, Paul knows he's towards the end of his race. Timothy, he looks back and sees Timothy about halfway, give or take. Um, and he's encouraging him. Because Paul, Paul's not worried at this moment about his judgment. The judgment that he's going to face when he crosses that finish line. The judgment of, of God. He's worried about Timothy's judgment. Now, should Timothy at this time probably wasn't worried about his judgment either because he was extremely faithful as well. But I look at it also as us facing our judgment. To me, that hits home. How faithful have we been? How do we sit back and look at our judgment? How do we not sit back, but how do we sit here and look forward at the judgment that we're going to face? You know, it's a, it's a strong reminder of how we've spent, uh, how we've been faithful to Him and how we've spent our time, how we've spent our resources, how we've served Him, the things that we've done to, to get to that finish line. Because we're all going to get to that finish line at some point, but it's going to be different for some other than others. It's going to be different for believers than it will for non-believers. It's going to be different for me than it will any of y'all in here. So I look at it as on myself. This, Like I said, this message really ended up hitting me hard because I look at myself and what I'm going to have to face when that judgment comes. <clears throat> but it's not all about just facing that judgment. We shouldn't... We shouldn't do things in life because of facing that judgment. We should do things in life because we have Jesus in our heart and our love for God and our love for Jesus. That's, that should really be the driving force behind it. If you have that love in your heart, then you're going to do those things. You're going to serve well. You're going to spend those resources. You're going to do whatever it takes because God's going to put it in your heart to do that. I want to oh, I want to skip ahead to verse 5. 
Verse 5 says, But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of the ministry. Here, endure hardships, the, the part of endure hardships and keep your head in all situations. I look at those as hand in hand. Uh, we're all going to face those hardships, but we have to put up that faithful fight no matter what we're faced with. And even at that, that faithful fight is your ministry. And whether you're ministering to somebody at McDonald's when you go to go for lunch, or you're up here like John or whoever every Sunday, your ministry can be costly. And not for the fact of money costly, but the wear and tear it can take on you. The wear and tear it takes on someone. Um, I'll tell you right now, I've, I've felt that myself uh, recently. I've just recently become the chaplain, well, re-become the chaplain of uh, the summer shootout in Charlotte Motor Speedway. And every Monday and Tuesday night, I spend down there as a chaplain for five, six hours at a time. And, you know, not just the... The time it takes to go down there, the money and all, but my family, what they have to endure as well with, without me being there on those nights. You know, when, when anybody goes out to do ministry, whether, and, and a lot of people, the average person, you should treat your work as a ministry as well. The people that you come in contact with, you should use every, every person you come in contact with is a minute, I look as a ministry for you. Because you should be willing to share that gospel with every person that you come in contact with. Um, but, and, and that gets back to where keeping a clear mind. And because if you, if you can't think clearly, I've heard it said many a times over and over, we all have, that you're the only Jesus that some people may see. And if you can't keep that level head during those hardships, during those hard times whether it be a diagnosis that you've gotten that could be, uh, could be terminal, whether you've lost your job, whether you've had a wreck, you know, whatever it is, everybody that you come in contact with, you may be the only Jesus that they see. <clears throat> but And that's the thing also. Uh, no ministry will be fruitful without some type of hardship in itself. Because if you're doing a ministry that isn't, that, that is easy, it's gonna, it could be shallow and fruitless. You're not digging deep to try to, to try to promote that, to pr promote God the way that you should. And as far as the, the hardship and dealing with it, I think back of also, John being a part of the rock in the river, where they take people in ministry that have gotten to that point where they could be burned out and, and bring them back and help them and coach them and get them to where, just get that relaxation period to where they can further their ministry. Because without that, they could easily just up and quit. 
But also here, he also says, do the work of an evangelist, is what he's telling Timothy. Paul was an evangelist. He he gave and sacrificed a lot, a lot of travel. Here, like we see as evangelists now, like the great Billy Graham, traveling here to there to spread God's word. But he's telling Timothy to evangelize where he is. Evangelize where you are. Even though you're just a, a preacher, you can evangelize where you are. You don't have to travel. You can reach the people that are around you and do it at all costs. Moving on to verse 6, I have, already, I have already been poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come of my departure. You know, here, Paul knows he's right at his end. He sees the finish line. He sees across. He can see across that finish line. And the confidence that he has there, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. And he knows that he's on to a new journey with God. He sees that in his future. How are we going to be when we get to that point? How am I going to be when I get to that point? How am I going to look back on how I'd gotten to that point? Verse 7. For I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was faithful to the finish line. Paul ran like a sprint to the finish line. He wasn't pacing himself. How many of us pace ourselves in our Christian life? But not only that, Paul wasn't only just saying run to the finish line. Don't just run to... If you've seen a marathon, you've seen a race, you see they've got the tape, the tape there that somebody just runs through. Don't run. How many of them do you see that run to that tape and stop right through the tape and just casually bust through it? None of them. Run through it. Give it your all. Hold nothing back. And always just keep your eyes on that finish line. Verse 8. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, will award to me on the day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Basically, here he's just saying, keep your eye on that reward. And In all honesty, the only way to win that award is to be in the battle. Be in the battle. Be on the front lines. Sharing God. Sharing Christ. Because if you're not on the front lines, you won't know what a win feels like or defeat. And Paul here can see the other side of that finish line. And he's using it this here to tell, to tell Timothy about the reward that's on the other side. Because it says, Now there in store for me the righteous store for me the crown of righteousness. There's a crown of righteousness on the other side that Paul knows is there. 
Because Paul has kept that faithfulness. The crown dates back to Greek and Roman times. When somebody, when a military would win a battle, they'd come in and the leader would get a crown placed upon their head. That crown would signify that the win. That crown would also signify honor. The honor of winning. And even up until... Uh, Actually, actually, in the 2004 Olympics, most of us know that the Olympics, they give you a medal. But 2004 ones, they were actually held in Athens. And along with the medal, they gave every, all the winners got a crown to signify that win. <clears throat> but it's not all about the worth of the crown. The worth of the crown isn't, isn't the true meaning of the crown, I, I believe. But it's the honor of receiving it. The honor of receiving it is the true worth. That shows exactly what you've done to get there. It shows that faithfulness that you had. It shows those works that you've done. And in all honesty, this is a medal that I got for a 5K. This here has nothing compared to what that crown is going to, be, going to mean. The honor that crown is going to have as it's placed upon my head or your head. <clears throat> so today, I want to encourage each and one, every one of you to run the race of life the way that Paul did. Don't run it the way that I run a 5K. <laughs> when I start out for a 5K, guess what? I know the distance. 3.1 miles. When I start a 5K, I know exactly where that finish line is. <laughs> and even though there's a, sometimes a reward better than this, sometimes I have Krispy Kreme donuts on the other side. <laughs> I mean, that's better than the medal. But how are we running our Christian race of life? Who knows where their finish line's going to be? My finish line could be tonight. My finish line could be in a week. My finish line could be 20 years from now. We don't know. Nobody knows exactly when that finish line's going to be. So I, I encourage you to, to run that race like Paul did, that all-out sprint. Don't manage, your, don't manage yourself. Don't, don't set that goal that I just want to just make it there. Because some people start, a, start a, ra a foot race, a 5K, a marathon. I just want to make it there. Not me. Not when, it comes to, not when it comes to that crown of life, that crown of righteousness. I want to be sprinting there. I want to do those faithful things along the way. Because I, I look at it right now that I've got to sprint from here till tonight. Because it could be, my time could be tonight. I've got to sprint from now to the next 10 years because it could be in 10 years. We don't know.
Nobody knows. But I also want to hit on the fact of one way that gets me through my running is the fact of groups of people. A year and a half ago, I joined, when I started my running, I joined a, what they call a streakers club. We run with clothes on. It's a streak, the, um, at least a mile a day, every day, every day of the year. Um, I've been doing it for a year and a half now. But it's encouraging to be doing that alongside other people. Because when it comes time of getting home at, and it's got to be done on that day. And when it comes time to getting home at 11.50 at night, and you've got a mile to get in, and you usually average a 10-minute mile, it takes encouragement. It takes being able to get in a group text or something and see some encouraging words from others that are facing the same thing you're facing. Just like our Christian life. Jess will thank me for this, but the plug of groups. <laughs> when our groups get started back up, I encourage you strongly to get into one. Because I can tell you, me and my wife and my family, we were in two groups this year. And I've never been pushed as hard to stay faithful. And the community that is, that is there. Because when you're feeling down, when you're feeling like giving up, there's 5, 10, 15 Pauls there to turn around to you and give you that encouragement to help push you towards that finish line, to keep you faithful. Another thing that I see a lot at, uh, at runs that, that a lot of us actually do as Christians as well is... I don't know exactly the way to put it, but I guess I could call it the camera syndrome. How many of us in our Christian lives have the camera syndrome? When that camera's on us, when somebody's watching, they, they might have been walking the entire way, but they're going to pick up the pace when, some, when somebody's watching. Or you come around a turn... And there's somebody with a camera. i got to pick up the pace, make it look like I've been running the whole way. How many of us are like that? How many of us, deep down in our hearts, have not been faithful to where, when nobody's watching, we're not that faithful Christian that we should be? We're not doing those things that are going to get us, not just to that finish line, but through that finish line, to get that crown of righteousness I don't want to show of hands but I can raise mine I can raise mine so it's just keep that faithfulness in our hearts because the race of life that finish line you could see that checkered flag at any moment. Any of us could. 
So just remember, don't get camera syndrome. <laughs> don't have that camera syndrome. Because once you get in that habit too, it, it'll stick. It'll stick. You'll get in a rut. And have that group of people. Have those Pauls in your life. So that when, when you do get in that rut, they're there to remind you. They're there to pull you out. So let's just think about ourselves. Think how we serve God in our heart as we leave here today. And, and be honest with ourselves. Each and every one of us. Let's all stand. And we'll close in prayer so that, and then after that, we'll have the band lead us out of here. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Thank you so much for each and every and the opportunity to be here. We ask that as we go through these, the race of life, that each one of us are on, each one of our races are different. We just ask that you put it in our hearts. You give us what we need to get what we need so that we can run that faithful run. So that we can do those things that you need us to do here on earth. So that we can be not just a Timothy to somebody, to, to a Paul, but so that we can be a Paul to Timothy's around us. And we just ask that you just give us that so that we can run gloriously through that finish line, not just to that finish line. Because that prize that waits there for us, to not just that crown of righteousness, righteousness, but to be there in all of your glory. And we just ask that you just be with us as we continue on our race. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.